0: Amen. All right, well, if you brought a Bible, open it up to Ephesians 6, and I'm going to move this, because I am afraid I'm going to fall. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been in this book since the beginning of the year. We're going to pick up reading in verse 1 of chapter 6, but just to give you a little bit of context so you know what to listen for, how to listen, uh, this second half of the book, you could argue, from pretty much chapter 4 onward, is all about relationships, all about relationships. So like the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, Paul focuses on things like, what's up with husbands and wives, or children and parents, or employees and employers. And whether you're in one of those relationships, or maybe some of you are in all three of those relationships, like you're married, you're a parent, and you work somewhere, okay, you've, you're, you've got a lot to listen to all three of these weeks. W- whether you're in one or you're in all three, I think we need to recognize that, that we all bring certain tendencies and patterns to the table when it comes to relationships, all right? How many of you loved art class when you were younger or older? Art class, any big fans? Okay, yeah. Well, let me just say, it's not wrong for like guys to raise their hands and love art class, okay, or music, or... There we go. Thank you, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that relationships in terms of our tendencies, patterns, are kind of like art class. So I'm gonna do a quick little poll here. How many of you relish the thought of free-form painting where you're given a blank sheet of paper, a set of watercolors, and the teacher says nothing but paint whatever you want. How many of you just love that thought? Utter creativity. Yeah. Okay. How many of you are terrified of doing that and would rather paint by numbers where you can follow a series of predetermined steps, they're like hands already going up, to get a guaranteed result? All right? Yeah, okay, well, that's me. I'll put like two hands up for that one. Yeah, Fabian, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I would argue that with relationships, we have the same kinds of tendencies. All right? So some of us crave this relational freedom where we can respond to the people around us however we want to. Don't tell me what to do. Let me, let me just sort of feel it out. All right? Some of us crave relational recipes if you're not like relational freedom you're like a relational recipe person where you can get a guaranteed peaceful stable outcome if you follow a set series of rules well the funny thing about the bible is that it doesn't take either one of those approaches when it comes to talking about relationships this whole last part of Ephesians God doesn't just sort of set us free for free form painting nor does he give us paint by numbers. So it's what what does God give us? He gives us what I'll call a divine design. And by that, I mean clear commands and guidelines in his word for various relationships that we then have to learn how to live out in all the different trenches of real life. See, there's elements of both in there. It's a lifelong process. It's a messy process, but but relationships come, despite the mess of them, with this tremendous potential to glorify God and show people that the power of the gospel is real as we endure in the mess and watch God bring redemption in the mess. He gives us a divine design, and that comes with this tremendous potential to glorify God and show people that the gospel is real. Remember, what Ephesians 2 told us. Ephesians 2 says that every one of us is born spiritually dead, enslaved to rebellion against our creator king, and deserving his judgment as a result. But God being what? Rich, yes, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That's what God does. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. Jesus died a sacrificial death for you. Jesus rose from the grave for you so that through faith and repentance in him, you could be reconciled to the lover of your soul and transform day by day more into his image until he comes back to make all things new and let you live with him forever. That's called the gospel. And it's not a fairy tale. It's like the central message. It's not like, use good grammar, Williams. It is the central message, is it not? Of the entire Bible. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul argues that nowhere is this transforming power of the gospel seen more clearly than in the way we do relationships. And in in the last part of Ephesians 5, first part of Ephesians 6, Paul's going to help us understand what kind of of marriage relationships, what kinds of parent-child relationships, what kinds of work relationships show the world that kind of transforming power. Okay, don't think that Paul goes from, like, theology, let's talk about God and Jesus, and then he's like, well, you know what, before I wrap up, let me tell you a few things I've been waiting to get you to change around here. No, he doesn't do that. Everything in the second part of the book is a right response to everything in the first part of the book. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Because God's divine design for our relationships requires God's divine power to walk it. Which is why Paul wrote, Ephesians 5, preached on this two weeks ago, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be what? Be filled with the Spirit. Think of it this way. Only those who are living under the influence of the Spirit of God can walk out God's design for relationships. You can't do that without the Spirit. It won't work. It won't work. Only husbands and wives who are filled with the Spirit can submit to God's design for marriage. Okay, only only parents and children who are filled with the Spirit can submit to God's design for the family. Okay, only employers and employees who are filled with His Spirit can submit to God's design for the workplace. Those things have to go together. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. So, let's focus this morning on God's design for the family and begin reading in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm going to break this down into two sections. Very simple. The first is God's design for children. and The second is God's design for parents. Two points. Real easy. You can't get lost. Point one, God's design for children requires humble obedience. Humble obedience. God has a design, a divine design for children, and it requires humble obedience. Now, I think the first thing we need to clarify before all you teenagers start writing yourselves out of this, like, hello, I am so 16 and not a child anymore, is we need to ask the question, who is Paul talking to when he says children? Okay, last week was like husbands, wives, okay, that's clear enough, but, but what does he mean by children? Well, all of us are children, Matthew, in the sense that we all had a father and, and a mother, but we know that Paul's narrowing the focus a bit here because in verse 4, he describes these children as those who are being brought up or raised in their parents' home or under their parents' authority. So he doesn't give us an age cutoff, 18 doesn't show up in here, but in our culture, in general, he's talking to those of you who are high school or younger. Why do I say that? Well, usually, during the college years, children in our culture either move away from home, or if they are living at home, th- you know, they're living increasingly independent lives. Th- they're not under their parents' authority in the same sense that they were being, being brought up or raised like they were in the younger years. Now, there's not a hard cutoff there, but but there's a definite shift that takes place. And I think that 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 transition, this is a whole other sermon, (laughs) is a difficult transition, especially for parents. But that's a spiritually healthy transition because at some point, children have to become mature adults, independent in their own relationship with God. That's a good thing. But this morning, I want to preach, in particular in this first point, to those of you who are high school age or younger. So if that's you, can you slip your hand up? High school age or younger, just keep your hand up, okay? All right. Guys, we thank God for you. We thank God for you. And I want to tell you why. We believe here that God created you. And that God loves you more than anyone who's sitting around. And more than that, that Jesus died for you. He didn't die for moms and dads alone. He died for you. And we want you to join us in following him by submitting to his plan for relationships. I want you to get this right away. I am not challenging you this morning to do anything different than what God has challenged me. Why do I say that? All of us, young, old, 98, 18, 8, we are all commanded by God to submit to his design for our relationships. And there are some unique ways that you do that and that your mom and dad do that, but we're all in the same fight. We're all in the same battle. There, There are children in your family, in your neighborhood, or your school that need to see in you what it looks like to follow Jesus as a young person. And I say that because I think it's easy to, to, to hear God's word here, and you start thinking, well, well, here Paul goes again. He's making rules, and that's all parents do. Rules, 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 rules. Old people just have this thing with kids, I don't understand it, where all they want to do is make rules. Well, you know what, as a dad, we make rules. We're going to talk about that later. But here's what I want you to hear right now. Paul's goal is not just to join the rulemaking club. His goal is to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what he's after. Because the world needs to see in your life, whether you're three or 13, that a young person can follow Christ. And more importantly, that a young person must follow Christ, no less than an older person. All right, Paul's showing you, God's showing you here, kids, teens, what it means for you to follow Jesus, what it means for you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, Ephesians 4.1, with which you have been called, and there's one relationship in your life, one relationship that's going to determine more than any other whether you are following Jesus or not. You see this coming, I hope you do, it's your relationship with your parents. Now, if you don't live with your biological parents, I'm talking about your relationship with your foster parents or your, or your grandmother or, or the other adult who's, who's responsible for taking care of you, okay? That's the relationship God cares about if you're a child, a teen, more than any other relationship in your life right now because that's the relationship where you decide, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? All right? So look at Ephesians 6.1. Very simply... Kids, teens, the Lord gives you a command and a reason, and I just want to note up front that it's really cool he gives a reason. I was thinking about how many times, you know, maybe I've heard my kids or you've asked your parents, you know, they say something, and you're like, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Well, as a dad, there's a certain point you want to be like, well, because I said so, but Paul doesn't do that here, kids. He doesn't. He gives you command but he doesn't even let you get a breath in and ask the why question. He gives you the why up front, all right? So let's, what's, what's the command? Look at this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents. That's the command. Obey your parents. Obeying your parents isn't easy, but it's not complicated. I don't think I have to spend a lot of time up here telling you what obeying your parents looks like. And if I do, it could be that you're looking for loopholes. Don't do that. All right, it's real simple, not easy, but it's simple. If your mom or dad says clean up your room, you what? You do it, okay? If they say turn off the TV, you what? You turn off the TV. If they say you cannot have a cell phone until you are 13, you don't sneak out with a friend and buy a cell phone when you're 12. All right, if they say you have to be home at 11 o'clock for curfew, obeying your parents means what? You drive home by 11 o'clock for curfew. It's, it's not rocket science what obedience looks like. Now, I'm assuming here, and I think Paul is too, that we're not talking about parents that are telling you to disobey the Word of God. But because I know that some of us are in family situations where not every parent or guardian is a Christian, I, I want to speak very carefully to you for just a quick minute here, okay? Maybe you're a Christian, young person, but one or both of your parents isn't. And, and maybe you're worried because you think that they're asking you to do something, that you know is wrong, that God says not to do. Well, if that's you, there are two things you need to do. Okay, first, you need to ask for help. Okay, you need to share that with another Christian adult that you trust who can help you figure out what to do. And then secondly, you need to have courage. All right, you need to clearly and respectfully explain to your mom or dad or guardian or stepdad, whoever it is, why God says you can't do what they want you to do. But but I'm going to assume for the rest of this morning that most of the time, even if your parents are not Christians, that they're not telling you to disobey God's word. What they're doing is telling you to do something that you think is ridiculous, jacked up, makes no sense, completely confusing, and has no basis in fact or joy in real life. And it's that situation. Pick one. I imagine you have one from the last week. Pick one where three little words in the middle of Ephesians 6-1 are so important for you. Look at them. Children, obey your parents, what? In the Lord. In the Lord. Uh, Teens in particular. This may be the most important thing you hear from me all morning. So please listen. To obey your parents in the Lord is to obey your parents in light of who God is And in response to who God is, obeying your parents in the Lord means you don't obey them because you think they are worthy of your obedience, but because you know that God is worthy of your obedience, infinitely worthy of your obedience, and God has said, You obey me by obeying them. That's critical. It's the only thing that will deliver you from this mental struggle of, do I agree with them or not? Are they worthy or are they not? You know what? In a real way, it doesn't matter. Because God says, I am worthy of your obedience. Every situation, infinitely worthy. And I say, in every situation, infinitely worthy, you obey your parents. That's what it means to obey your parents in the Lord. They represent His authority in your life despite all their imperfections, all their problems, all their issues. Yes, parents have a lot of issues. You're hearing that from a pastor at Kingsway who is a parent, all right? That doesn't mean you get an escape from obeying them because we obey them because they are God's authority in your life. The single best indication you're a teen or a kid of whether or not you are right now following Jesus is whether or not right now you are obeying your parents you cannot drive a wedge between those things and say I'm cool with God but my parents are messed up you can't do that you know what your parents are messed up I agree so does God so are you (laughs) and yet God says in his infinite wisdom obey me by obeying them. That's the command. Now, let's look at the reason. Here's the why, because I can feel the tension. I can hear the whys. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Oh, great, Paul. It's like an apostolic version of, because I said so, because it's right. Well, prove it. Well, he does. He does. Look at verse 2. Why is it right? Why it's good? Why is it fitting? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That, result, purpose, it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What's Paul doing here? Well, he's quoting from Exodus 20. Specifically, the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, which says, honor your father and mother. Now listen, honoring your father and mother is not something you get to be freed from when you become an adult, right? Every one of us, if your mom or dad are living, God has called you to honor them. But when you're a child, when you're still being brought up and trained in your parents' home, the primary way you honor them is by obeying them. And the reason why you have to obey them is because, as I said a minute ago, they are God's authority in your life, and he is worthy of your obedience. And this is a huge reason, Paul focuses on this here, obedience is the only path of blessing in this world you want a life of blessing it's not a mystery it's it's not a well let me check the table of contents i wonder where it is no god tells you where it is the path of blessing in this life temporal blessings okay i'm not just talking about oh well some sort of spiritual thing no that's true but temporal blessings in this life if you want to experience the path of blessing you have to obey your parents. That's what he's saying. And, and it's really remarkable if you read the Ten Commandments, if you're not familiar with them, go home today, Exodus 20, take a look. It's not until you get to that fifth commandment that the Lord gives Moses this very specific promise and reward. I mean, it's almost as if God's giving the commandments and then he gives the fifth one, honor your father and mother. And, he, and he's all too aware oh, that's going to be so hard. He he gets it. He gets it. And so he he pauses and he says, let me be crystal clear. Here's what you can expect if you do that. As a general rule, you can expect to enjoy a good life and a long life. Good life and a long life. Now, Now, I can hear the protest because I felt the protest. And it goes something like this how could obeying my parents' rules about screen time result in me enjoying a good life and a long life? Okay, let me tell you something, God. If you wanted me to enjoy a good life and a long life and a long good life, then what you would do is give me all the screen time I wanted because I am all too clear on my desires, how to satisfy my desires, and you, sorry, and parents just keep getting in the way. We feel that. We think that. We, we think, I can't wait to be 18 so I can really start enjoying the good life. Maybe you got angry in a conflict and you just shouted that at mom or dad. Like, well, well I'll show you when I'm 18. Psalm 81. Hear, O my people, will I admonish you. Teens, if you would but listen to me, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Listen to this. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. For a day in your courts, Psalm 84, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing. No good thing. Does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Guys, ultimately, this command in Ephesians 6-1 to obey your parents, here's what it all comes down to. Do you trust God or do you not? That's what it comes down to. Do you trust God to do what He says in Psalm 84? He's promised to do, to not withhold a good thing from you. And by the way, there is nothing in all creation, including your parents who have issues, who can keep a holy, infinitely worthy God from lavishing His goodness upon you. That's what faith says. But you have to trust Him. He's eager to prosper you. But you have to trust him. And let me tell you, if you choose today to trust God and his goodness toward you, and as a result of that, to obey your parents, you are never going to be disappointed. You're not. Why not? Because what we've been singing about all morning, he's what? A good father. And I say that all too aware that there are so many days where I'm not a good father. But the preacher up here isn't telling you to obey your parents because they're good. God is telling you to obey their parents because he's good. God is a divine design. For children, it requires humble obedience. Let's look at parents, point two. God's design for parents. If God's design for children requires humble obedience, God's design for parents requires, remember God has things to say to all of us, we all have to submit to him. It requires patient instruction. Humble obedience, patient instruction. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want to slow down here, because it's very interesting that in contrast to verse 1, where Paul refers to parents, or verse 2, where he speaks of fathers and mothers, here in verse 4, he specifically addresses fathers, dads. And I'm going to argue there's a reason for that. Okay, but to set it up, I need to think about something with me. Okay, the Bible clearly teaches in Genesis 1 and 2 that God's original design was for one man And one woman united for life in the covenant of marriage to conceive and raise children together. And it is the father, as the leader of the home, who bears primary responsibility for those children's spiritual instruction. Okay, that is all over Genesis 1 and 2. And I would argue that that's not a patriarchal idea, or a western idea, or a white idea, or a traditional 50s values idea. That's a biblical command and principle. It's part of God's design. Okay, The cry of the orphan, the suffering of the widow, conception apart from marriage, were not part of God's original design design those things all came to be after genesis 3 when our sin corrupted god's good world now please hear me very carefully on this point from that moment onward the bible tells a story and it's a story of redemption It is a a story of God working to restore and heal what sin destroyed and corrupted, including the family. And by the way, that restoring, redeeming, and healing work is continuing today through the power of the Spirit. So what's that mean? That means that I've watched single moms in our midst do what I am convinced is the most difficult job in this entire world. And do it in the power of the Spirit. To the glory of God. Okay, I've watched moms in a family situation where the father is either not a Christian or is just spiritually checked out, disengaged to assume a responsibility for raising their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord that they wish to God they didn't have, but yet God is faithful, even in the midst of that brokenness, to empower them through the Holy Spirit to do what they wish they could do with their husband. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. God has an original design, we corrupt that through our sin, but he doesn't abandon us because of that. He helps us, he meets us, and and yet I'm convinced that the special grace that God pours out in those situations doesn't change the fact, and shouldn't make us get squeamish and apologize for the fact, that there was an original design. The, The presence of that special grace doesn't take away from the original design. And here's what that means, gentlemen. If you're a father, the spiritual instruction and training of your children is not, first and foremost, the responsibility of their mother or your wife. It is your responsibility. Your responsibility. You are the leader of your home. And the Lord exhorts you, the Lord admonishes you in Ephesians 6, 4 to embrace your responsibility and fulfill your responsibility to the glory of God, for the good of your children, through the power of the gospel. So that means, I'm going to be very practical here with you, dads, that you should be the one who initiates conversations about the spiritual health of your kids. Okay? You should be the one who thinks carefully about how to connect the truth of Scripture and what Jesus has done for us to the challenges of a particular child's life at every point in their life. That's your job, your job, all right? You should be the one who takes the lead in reading and praying and singing with them so that they grow up in your home convinced, convinced that there is something that you care about more than straight A's and academic scholarship you want them to know and love and follow Jesus more than anything else. And if your kids only hear from you when they have messed up or get a report card or need help with their athletics, then you are not fulfilling your God-given responsibility. And that sobers me because I've got three boys and that's daunting that there's a There's a weightiness to that that I feel. And yet I know that I can't make my kids follow Jesus. You you can't either, dads. But you can choose to teach them who God is and what it means to follow him. You can't make them follow, but you can choose to teach them who God is and what it means to follow. And that's that's what Paul means by the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not like, well, just, you know, figure out some, any old discipline or any old instruction. No, it's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means that your discipline and instruction of your kids should be just as God-centered as their obedience toward you. Okay? And that the discipline and instruction that you bring to them should make it very clear to them that dad represents the Lord and that what dad cares about, the Lord cares about. You have an opportunity by bringing God-centered discipline and instruction to make it crystal clear to them that the way they respond to you is the way they're responding to God. Tremendous opportunity. And based on my experience, which I'll admit is meager, I've got a one, a four, and a (laughs) six-year-old. But I'll add to that what I've heard from many of you with far more experience than I. um, I'm convinced that really two things are necessary if we're going to fulfill this responsibility. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Two things are necessary. First, gentlemen, we we need a humble heart. We need a humble heart. The degree the Lord convicts you throughout your life, because let me tell you, it's going to happen over and over and over again. You know, you, it's not like we reach these points where you know I had this. I went on this retreat and God like convicted me that I wasn't bringing spiritual instruction. I was kind of just chilling around, letting my wife or mom mom do that. But you know, now I've changed, man, and I've got it. and I got a new T-shirt. No, <laughs> wear the T-shirt. But inevitably, six months later, a year later, God will bring conviction again and you'll realize, oh Lord, I still need to grow in doing this. When I say have a humble heart, here's what I'm saying. When God convicts you of neglecting your responsibility, tell your kids. Confess that to them. Ask ask for their forgiveness. All right, And as you discuss God's word, pray, talk about real life with them. Maintain a humble spirit so that they don't grow up thinking that dad is perfect. Or even worse, thinking that dad's not perfect but he doesn't know that. <laughs> okay? Maintain a humble spirit by being open and honest about your weaknesses. The, the goal, the goal is to bring discipline and instruction of the Lord. Guess where the glory of the Lord is seen most beautifully in your life as it dad? It's in your weakness. It's in your troubles. You hide that from your kids, they're not going to see Jesus. All they're going to see is you. And all they're going to see of you is the strengths that you want them to see of you. And all that's going to teach them to do is to be a Pharisee. Don't do that. We need a humble heart. And and second, we need a reasonable plan. Okay, a humble heart, a reasonable plan. I want to be very practical here. Don't walk out of this morning and tell your wife that you're going to start reading eight chapters of Leviticus to your three toddlers every other day, all right? You know, I'm just getting started with this parenting thing in many ways. That's not going to work. It's just not going to work, all right? And on the other end of the spectrum, don't tell your teenagers that you're going to get breakfast with them once a week if you know, if you're being really honest, that your work schedule is not going to allow that. Far better to start small and be faithful than to start big and fail, crash and burn, not be faithful. And, and the best plan of reason, of reasonable spiritual instruction for your kids is going to change over the years. So, so let's just be honest and aware that training a three-year-old is very different than training a 13-year-old. And that's why I'm so grateful that as I look out in this room, we've got dads in like every season of life here that we can learn from and I look up to and we can help each other know in this season of parenting, how do I bring my kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? I, I wanted to just give you very quickly a, a little illustration example of how your pastor is seeking to do that with a one, four, and a six-year-old, okay? Hopefully this This serves to just lower the bar and help you recognize, huh, maybe this spiritual instruction thing can be a little easier than I thought. Or if you think I'm failing, you can tell me afterward and this illustration will go nowhere. But here's what I do, all right? Three to four mornings a week or evenings, I sit down with my boys or stand or follow or chase (laughs) over breakfast or dinner to read a very short section of scripture. Right now we're going through Proverbs. By short, I mean like half a chapter or when the attention spans just run out. Um, Many times that's even less than half a chapter. I will take about 30 to 45 seconds to state the big idea. Solomon says to his son that the path of wisdom is something God has to show us. You can't figure out wisdom on your own, guys. You need God to show you what's wise. Now, don't quote me to your teenager, okay? That's, I'm like, I'm talking to toddlers, young people, but, but I'll explain the big idea. We'll pr- I pray for them that lasts no more than two minutes, and then we sing a worship song together, and that involves lots of loud noises, chaos, and hand motions. So the current favorite song is Mighty Fortress, right? And so there's different hand motions, and, and one boy does like the a mighty fortress is our God. Because we try to be musical in my family. And then and then another boy, well, not name, tries to beatbox. <laughs> and so you've got... And then Tyler, my little one-year-old, is like running around in a diaper. ba And that lasts about two to three minutes. Or until Daddy's done. I've worked in scripture memory verses with them. Um, we've, we've read about different countries and then prayed for missionaries or gospel ministry in those countries. Um, we have skipped many nights because of a parenting issue that came up. Okay, that's, that's what family worship looks like in the Williams house. And there are plenty of days when I get done with that and I think, Lord, is this chaos Really gonna do a lick of good, really. But then I remember the Lord's admonition in First Corinthians three, where Paul says, "What I planted, Paulus watered, but God made it grow." God makes it grow, dads. You plant, you water, God makes it grow. God makes it grow, and the fact that God makes it grow means that if one or more of your children are not following Jesus, that that's not necessarily because you've been this abysmal failure as a father to bring spiritual instruction into their life, okay? And on the other side, if one or more of your children are following Jesus, that's not necessarily because you're some sort of family worship superhero. God makes it grow, and that frees us to be faithful, without demanding immediate fruit from the Lord. We, we have to be patient, dads. We have to be patient. And I think this can be really hard as guys because we want to get in there and fix things quickly. So Paul warns us, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. In light of how merciful and gracious God has been to you and Jesus, there's no room, in the words of one commentator, for excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs. Right? The discipline and instruction of a Christian father should be marked by pervasive gentleness. And guys, we should not be hard to please. Why? Why? Because we represent a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So let me encourage you, take time today or this week, to ask your wife, your kids, their mom, wh- whoever you need to, is, is my instruction, my spiritual leadership in this home, is it marked by patience or harshness? Critique or encouragement? Gentleness Or anger. And and listen carefully to what they say because Paul's warning us here that the presence of anger in our kids may not just be their problem. It may be because we're not being patient. I was thinking this past week of a a recent conversation uh, my wife and I have had. Elisa, my wife, is a faithful helper. And she challenged me recently with one of our kids. She said, Matthew, you are rushing the discipline process because you want to get back to whatever you were doing before this thing blew up. No, never, right? And so, she she called me out on that, and she just said, "If you slow down, they will not get so angry." I mean, what's that? That's like Ephesians six four, spoken by my wife. And guess what? It worked. It worked. And Daddy still gets angry, and they still get angry. But but slowing down, being patient, bore fruit in that little guy's life. Thank God for my wife. Children. God's design for you is humble obedience. Okay, parents, especially fathers, God's design for you is patient instruction. All of us are working to submit ourselves to God's design so that he's glorified, our families are strengthened, and the world around us sees the difference that the power of the gospel makes when parents and children relate together, do relationships in response to who God is. Let me conclude with this. Kingsway, I don't want families in this neighborhood or in this church to ever get close to us or ever be in here. Okay, if, if you're new or visiting, I just thanks for giving me a little family moment here, okay? You're welcome, you can listen in. I don't want us to ever be known in this community as the place where look at all those perfect parents. Look at all those immaculately obedient kids. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. God is a divine design. Children, teens, obey your parents. You should be obeying. Parents, especially fathers, give patient instruction. We we have to do that. But practice patient instruction and humble obedience so that our neighbors are drawn to ask questions about the God and the gospel who alone makes it possible. That's so important. Don't don't build a monument to your own glory in your family. Build a monument to the glory of King Jesus in your family. Those things could not be more different. And be proactive. If you get a compliment or someone says, wow, your kids are so obedient, don't just, well, that's pretty cool. No, no. Immediately take that and give glory to God for that acknowledge that we're not for the work of Jesus Christ in your heart, you you would be an epic failure. But God has had mercy on you and God's having mercy on your kids. Let's embrace his design, humble obedience, patient instruction for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you have so much to say and there are a few situations where we are more at risk of being discouraged or condemned or thinking, oh my, I've got work to do. Or do you know we have work to do? But I pray as we, as we respond to this word as parents, as children, in particular, as those are the people you've specifically addressed through your word today, I pray that you would help us to cry out to the Lord in our trouble, and that you would do what you were so good at doing and deliver us from our distress. Lord, for young people here who find it ridiculously hard, if not impossible, to obey, would you help them to call out to you right now? Lord, for parents here, especially dads, who are abdicating or discouraged or weary, would you help them to call upon the Lord in their trouble? deliver them from their distress thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus but sure help and hope for real need and Lord I I pray finally for wives and moms who heard my words to fathers today and think I hope the guy next to me was listening and it's so hard for them to uh, to not lose heart wanting their husband or father to Be who you call us to be. Lord, I pray you would help them to show the same patience that we're trying to show our kids. Lord, we all need you. We cannot live out the gospel in our family without you. And so we're asking right now for your help and your rescue and your support and your supply that this church and this community would know that there is a king in heaven and he reigns in the family.